Welcome to the Particular Baptist Podcast. My name is Sean. Uh, my co-host Dan couldn't be here today, so I decided I would take this as an opportunity to do a brief gospel presentation uh, so our listeners can share it with those who do not know the gospel. As a note, all scripture references will be taken from the King James Version of the Bible. So, what is the gospel? Ultimately, in the New Testament, the English word gospel uh, comes from an underlying Greek word, uh, euangelion. And uh, this word means good news. So the gospel is good news. Paul define, the Apostle Paul defines uh, the gospel in this way in uh, 1 Corinthians 15, verses 1 through 6. Moreover, brethren, I declare unto you the gospel which I preached unto you, which also ye have received, and wherein ye stand. By which also ye are saved, if ye keep in memory what I preached unto you, unless ye have believed in vain. For I delivered unto you first of all that, that which I also received, how that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, and that he was buried, and that he rose again the third day according to the scriptures, and that he was seen of Cephas, then of the twelve. After that he was seen of above five hundred brethren at once, of whom the greater part remain unto this present, but some are fallen asleep. So ultimately, the gospel deals with salvation. This is the good news of salvation. Paul said, tells the Corinthians that this is the message by, by which also ye are saved. Um, and he lists several key elements to this gospel. Um, that Christ died, that he was buried, and that he rose the third day. All this in accordance with the scriptures. And that he was seen of uh, Cephas and multiple others that... Uh, saw his resurrection. But ultimately, what I want to focus in on here a little bit is that Christ died for our sins. This is a core element of the gospel. What does it mean that Christ died for our sins? So before moving into a, a thorough definition of the gospel, um, I want to backdrop it with uh, the bad news. If the gospel is the good news, we need to know the bad news. And this will help us to appreciate just what good news the gospel is. So the bad news is that God is just and good. Some scriptural proof texts for this, Exodus 34, 7, and this is God um, describing himself. Keeping mercy for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, and that will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children and upon the children's children unto the third and to the fourth generation. So here God says he will by no means clear the guilty. He will not let those um, that have uh, done evil get away without punishment. Psalm 89, 14, justice and judgment are the habitation of thy throne. Mercy and truth shall go before thy face. So God is a God of justice and judgment, but he is also a God of mercy and truth. Deuteronomy 32, 4, he is the rock. His work is perfect for all his ways are judgment, a God of truth and without iniquity just and right is he. So here we see God is without iniquity. He is without sin. He is perfectly good. Now, some might be wondering at this point, why is any of this bad news? And ultimately, this is bad news because we are not good. So we are going to come into conflict with that just and holy God. Uh, Romans 1 verses 18 through 20. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who hold the truth in unrighteousness, because that which may be known of God is manifest in them, for God hath shown it unto them. For the invisible things of him from the creation of the world are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, 
even his eternal power and Godhead so that they are without excuse. So God has revealed himself to men. All men know that there is a God. Even the most militant atheist knows that there is a God. God has declared it to the world. And um, so no one on the day of judgment will be able to say, oh, I did not know that you even existed, God. All men know there is a God. Romans 3, uh, verses 11 and 12. There is none that understandeth. There is none that seeketh after God. They are all gone out of the way. They are together become unprofitable. There is none that doeth good. No, not one. Um, so in evangelical parlance, it's, it's common to hear people talk about God seekers, um, those that may not be Christian, but they're seeking after God. And ultimately, the Bible would condemn this idea. It says that none seeketh after God. What uh, these people might be doing is seeking after a God, a, a God of their imagination or something else, but they are not seeking after the God that they know is there. They don't want him. And ultimately, there's none that does good, not even one. And this might be hard to understand at first uh, because we see people doing good things in this world. But ultimately, for something to be, be good, it needs to be done both for the, uh, it needs to be a good act and done for the right reasons. If a rich person donates to charity, on the face of it, it seems to be a good act. But ultimately, if we see that behind the scenes, um, he was doing it so that um, one of his companies that was being paid by the charity would end up profiting, we recognize, oh, wait, that's not a good thing. That's, that's actually corrupt. Even if some people might have still benefited from the money given to the charity, it's not, uh, it's not ultimately a good thing. Um, so uh, our Lord gets asked this question here in Matthew 22, uh, verses 36 and 30, uh, through 38. Uh, Master, which is the greatest commandment in the law? Jesus said unto him, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart and with all thy soul and with all thy mind. This is the first and great commandment. So God says that the first commandment, what you are to primarily do or above all things do in this, in this life is to love the Lord your God with all thy heart. Um, so if we go out and do things that are good, but we aren't doing them out of a love of God or for his glory, then ultimately we can say that we're, we're not truly doing good in the, in the fullest sense because we haven't done it for the right reasons. And that is how the Bible can say no one does good because um, in, our, in our unregenerate state, in our fallen state, we don't do good things for the right reasons. Um, some more scriptural proof that oh, we don't do good, we do evil. Um, walking through a couple of the Ten Commandments, the first commandment, Thou shalt not, or thou shalt have no other gods before me, Exodus 23. So this can be uh, very explicit. Obviously, um, there are other religions that worship many gods, which are not the God of the Bible, or it can be uh, a little bit more implicit. Uh, do, you, do you worship money? Is money your God? Uh, do you serve going after money as opposed to the true God of heaven? Um, ultimately, people set up many kinds of idols. Um, none of which are the true God. Exodus 20, 15, thou shalt not steal. Have you ever stolen anything regardless of wh uh, what the value might be? Then you've stolen and broken God's commandment here. Exodus 20, 16, thou shalt not bear false witness against thy neighbor. Have you ever 
exaggerated what someone has done either to make yourself look better or to make them look worse. What you've done is uh, harmed your neighbor's reputation and God will call you to task about this. Thou shalt not covet Exodus 20, 17. Uh, to covet is to desire something unrighteously. If somebody has a nice car, it's, Oh, I want that car. I really want that car. I should have that car. And ultimately that's, um, that's a criticism against God because God is the one who provides for us all. And um, to, to desire it and to think that you were, you're worthy of it um, and God hasn't given it to you is to claim that God is being unjust or unfair to you. We don't, uh, what God has given us is sufficient. Um, moving on to uh, the prohibition against adultery, thou shalt not commit adultery, Exodus 20:14. This is a prohibition against all sorts of um, intimate relations outside of marriage. Marriage is between one man and one woman, and anything outside of that is um, is wrong. It's a sin about against both your or against yourself and uh, the person you're engaged with it in, and against the God who made this commandment. And while the the act itself is explicitly condemned, it actually goes much deeper than this. Um, Matthew 5, 27 through 28, and this is Jesus speaking. You have heard that it was said and said by them of old time, thou shalt not commit adultery. But I say unto you that whosoever looketh on a woman to lust after her hath committed adultery with her already in his heart. So here Jesus is actually making the commandment stricter in a sense, or at least delving uh, deeper down than what it was at face value, saying that it's not merely the act itself that is a violation of this commandment, but also what's going on in your heart. You might desire the thing, but not actually do it. But that desire is wicked. Um, we shouldn't desire what is against God's law. So ultimately, it's a heart issue as well as an act issue of what we do. So um, this, uh, many know that they are not good because they recognize they don't uh, keep God's commandments, but uh, they think they can be right with God because of their good works, that somehow their good works can make up for uh, all the evil that they've done. And this is not the case. Romans 3.20, therefore, by the deeds of the law, there shall no flesh be justified in his sight, for by the law is the knowledge of sin. So the law doing good deeds in keeping with the law was never meant to make us justified before God, make us right with God. It's only to show us, well, not only, but in this aspect, it's to show us that uh, we have sin. It's to give us the knowledge of sin, to give us the uh, understanding that we have uh, fallen short of what God would have for us. Titus uh, 3, 5, the first part of the verse not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to his mercy, he saved us. So ultimately, God's salvation is not by our works of righteousness, not by our good deeds, but it's going to be by his mercy. Galatians 3.10, for as many as are of the works of the law are under the curse. For it is written, cursed is everyone that continueth not in all things which are written in the book of the law to do them. So in order to be right with God, you would have to keep the entirety of the law perfectly. You, uh, you can't say, oh, I've kept these laws, but not these laws. No, it's, it's, it's a unit. Um, everybody who's broken one part of the law is under the curse, and we've broken the law in very many ways. Um, and 
you're not able, your good works aren't able to make up for this because we're supposed to be doing good anyway. It's not, it's not to our benefit to um, do something that we were all already supposed to be doing. So God's standard is perfection. He is good. And uh, if we violate it in any way, we are violating that standard. So now going on to the punishment for sin, uh, Romans 6, 23, for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. So the wages of sin is death. That's both the physical death that we see um, all around us in this life and also what's called the second death. And that is um, the being thrown into hell. Some verses on hell. Mark 9, 43 through 44, and this is Jesus speaking. And if thy hand offend thee, cut it off. It is better for thee to enter into life maimed than having two hands to go into hell, into the fire that never, never shall be quenched, where their worm dieth not, and the fire is not quenched. And then Revelation 14, 9 through 11. And the third angel followed them, saying with a loud voice, if any man worship the beast in his image, and receiveth his mark on his forehead, in his forehead, or in his hand, the same shall drink the wine of the wrath of God, which is poured out without mixture under the cup of his indignation. And he shall be tormented with fire and brimstone in the presence of the holy angels and in the presence of the Lamb. And the smoke of their torment ascendeth up forever and ever, and they shall have no rest day nor night, who worship the beast and his image, and whosoever receiveth the mark of his name. So, as we can see, hell is not a place that we want to go to. Um, you'll, you'll hear it in the, in the culture. People say, oh, hell will be a nonstop party. No, it won't. It will be absolutely terrible. And uh, ultimately, it will be just and good because this is the just punishment for sin. So now, with that understanding, we can truly appreciate the good news. Uh, 2 Corinthians 5.21 for he hath made him to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. This is, this is referring to Jesus. Jesus on the cross was made a sacrifice for sin. Um, Isaiah 53 verses 4 through 5. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquity. The chastisements of our peace was upon him, and with his stripes we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way. And the Lord hath laid on him the iniquity of us all. So our iniquity was placed on the son of God, Jesus Christ. And he was punished in our place. Hebrews 10, 11 through 14. And every priest standeth daily ministering and offering, often, offering oftentimes the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. But this man after he had offered one sacrifice for sins forever, sat down on the right hand of God, from henceforth expecting till his enemies be made his footstool. For by one offering, he hath perfected forever them that are sanctified. So if you are sanctified, you are perfect in God's sight. God sees you as not having sin because your sin has been taken away. Now, how, as we are human beings, to uh, partake of this uh, sacrifice that Jesus has done. And ultimately, this is by faith. This is the means by which um, the sacrifice of Christ is applied to us. The benefits of Christ's sacrifice are applied to us. Uh, Acts 16, verses 30 through 31. Um, 
this is the Philippian jailer who's uh, uh, been jailing the Apostle Paul, and ultimately he's he's had a he's had a crisis, um, and he's going to ask uh, what he needs to be do to saved to be saved, uh, and brought them out and said, "Sirs, what must I do to be saved?" And they said, "Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou shalt be saved, and thy house." So if you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, you will be saved. Romans 3.20, therefore we conclude that a man is justified by faith without the deeds of the law. So regardless of your law keeping, uh, if you believe in Christ, you are justified, you are declared righteous with God by faith. John 5.24, and this is Jesus speaking, verily, verily, I say unto you, he that heareth my word and believeth on him that sent me hath everlasting life and shall not come into condemnation, but is passed from death unto life. Romans 4, verses 4 through 5. Now to him that worketh is the reward not reckoned of grace, but of debt. But to him that worketh not, but believeth on him that justifieth the ungodly, his faith is counted for righteousness. When we believe in Christ, we are counted as righteous. Not only is our sin taken away, but we are counted as righteous. Um, we are partaking in Christ's righteousness. So God sees us as not sinners and perfectly righteous. And that is how we can enter into his presence when we die. So ultimately, this is, we believe uh, uh, this is justification by faith. But who is this faith in? And it's uh, in uh, God. It's faith in Jesus. And Jesus is both God and man. And it's important to believe both these things. John eight fifty eight. Jesus said unto him, Verily, verily, I say unto you, before Abraham was, I am. Now this I am is ultimately a reference to the name that God told Moses. God told Moses that his name was I am that I am. And here Jesus is declaring that he is that same God. 1 Timothy 3.16, And without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. God was manifest in the flesh, justified in the spirit, seen of angels, preached unto the Gentiles, believed on in the world, and received up into glory. So God became man. He became incarnate um, so that he would be the appropriate sacrifice for our sins. 1 Timothy 2.5, For there is one God and one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus. It's important that Jesus be both God and man. Um, in order to be an appropriate substitute uh, for us, for our sins, he needs to be like us. He needs to be man. But also, in order to bear the infinite wrath of God, he needs to be God himself. So both these things are the requirement for our, our, substitute, um, our substitutionary, uh, for a substitutionary atonement to be made. And ultimately, the Father and Spirit are also God. These three are one God, yet distinct persons. And this is uh, what Christians call the Trinity. And now we get to what kind of faith uh, is it that saves? Because there are many out there that profess to be Christians, but clearly deny Christ by their life. Um, Jesus in Matthew uh, 7, verses 21 through 23 says the following. Not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven, but he that doeth the will of my Father, which is in heaven. Many will say unto me that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name? And in thy name have cast out devils and in thy name done many wonderful works. And then I will profess unto them, I never knew you. 
depart from me, ye that work iniquity. So not all that profess Christ's name are going to be saved. Um, and even these that claim that they've done many good, good things in Christ's name, Christ did not know them. First John 2, 4, he that saith, I know him and keepeth not his commandments is a liar and the truth is not in him. If we say that we are Christians, that we believe in Christ and yet don't even attempt to keep his commandments, are we really saying that we believe in Christ? Um, if, if I believe that God is good, that he both has the right to tell me what to do and knows what's best for me, and I'm not even trying to keep his commandments, how can I say that I really believe in him? Now, this is not to say that we will be perfect in the Christian life. We have plenty of uh, places that demonstrate this. For example, 1 John 1, verses 8 through 9, if we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So we will have sin during the, the Christian life. Another example of this would be Matthew 18. But um, despite this, um, we are in Christ treated as righteous. But um, there is a point which um, you did, if you do not, or if you're not even attempting to keep Christ's commandment, we can say that you are not of Christ. And this leads into repentance. Uh, repentance is an aspect uh, related to faith here. Repentance comes from the Greek word uh, metania, which means uh, to change one's mind. Um, often people will hear the word repentance and think this is about doing works, about doing good deeds. And ultimately, as we've seen, that this can't be true. Uh, we are not saved by our, our doing of good deeds. Um, and a, a good place to show this is Matthew 3, verses 7 and 8. But when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees, oh, this is John the Baptist. Uh, but when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees come to his baptism, he said unto them, O generation of vipers, who hath warned you to flee from the wrath to come, bring forth therefore fruits meet for repentance. And meet here in, in King James English is, has the idea of, of keeping with or worthy of repentance. Um, and there's a distinction here being made that the fruits of repentance are different than the repentance. So if I repent, if I change my mind, that will produce good fruits. But it is, repentance is not itself the good fruits. And ultimately, repentance is the change of mind in regards to God and sin. If we were before conversion, walking one way away from God, we have changed our mind, recognizing who God is, that he has the right to tell us what to do and that what he tells us is good. And we change our mind about sin once having loved it. Now we recognize it as evil and don't want any to have anything to do with it. Some verses uh, proving that repentance is also a necessary aspect of uh, faith and self uh, in order to be saved. Repent ye therefore and be converted, that your sins may be blotted out, when the times of refreshing shall come from the presence of the Lord. Acts 3, 19. Uh, Mark 1, uh, verses 14 through 15. Now after that John was put in the prison, into was put in prison, Jesus came into Galilee preaching the gospel of the kingdom of God and saying, The time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent ye and believe the gospel. Um, and this is uh, this next verse, Acts 20, verses 21, is uh, Paul talking to um, the Ephesian elders, the elders of the Ephesian church, and describing what he's done. 
testifying both to Jews and also to Greeks, repentance towards God and faith towards our Lord Jesus Christ. So again, if you don't repent, if you're not willing to say that God is right, how can you say that you believe in God? You might believe things about God, but you don't trust in him. And I want to close this presentation with uh, a parable, two parables, really, that I did not understand before I was a Christian. This comes from Matthew uh, chapter 13, verses 44 through 46. The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field. When a man found it, he hid it again, and then in his joy went and sold all that he had and bought that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant looking for fine pearls. When he found one of great value, he went away and sold everything he had and bought it. So before I was a Christian, I didn't understand this. I didn't have any idea of what, what would be so valuable that you would sell everything. In my mind, it's like, well, surely I would want to keep at least something back. I wouldn't want to spend everything on this. But now, having become a Christian, I do understand this. Not only is it uh, worth everything uh, to, to be saved, um, we do know that. Uh, Jesus says in Mark 8, 36, For what shall it profit a man if he shall gain the whole world and lose his own soul? Uh, your own soul, your own life is worth far more than everything in this world. So even that is worth everything. It should be worth everything to you. But more so, the treasure hidden in the field is God, is Jesus. Uh, to have, to know, and to be with that one who loved us so much that he died for us, that is wonderful beyond measure. He is worth everything. So ultimately, I'd ask that if you have not believed in Jesus Christ, you have not repented towards God and from your sins, I'd ask that you do that today and be saved for there is no other way to get to God. So uh, my prayer is that you would have hear, hear, heard the words that I've presented to you today and that you would believe in Jesus Christ. Thank you.